Hello everyone and welcome to our podcast Uncuff India by One Future Collective. My name is Sanchi and my pronouns are she her. My name is Atanshi and my pronouns are she and her. We are your hosts today and it's so good to have you all listening in. In today's episode, we are going to discuss the prevalence of protests in India and explore whether and how state responses to them have changed over the years. This episode will also delve into the state's reaction to dissent in the present civic and political setting of India, wherein the state has tried to use or legitimize the use of violence during protests. This is also abetted and enabled by complementary state machinery, which makes the possibility of questioning seem rather bleak, which has in the past been the bedrock of social justice and human rights movements. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sanchi. To discuss this and to share their insights on the topic with us, we have Neha Dikshit. Neha is an independent journalist based out of New Delhi, India, and their focus is mainly on the topics of intersection of politics, gender, and social justice in South Asia. Thank you so much, Neha, for taking the time out and being on this podcast with us. We're really excited to hear from you and learn from you. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be part of this. Yes. Thank you so much, Neha, for making the time and joining us today. So let us start right off and let us start simple and right at the base of the theme for today. So Neha, how would you describe the state's response to protests at the moment? And do you think it has changed over the years? Uh, thank you for that question. I do think in the last few years, since particularly 2014, I do think that we have seen a number of protests uh, in many forms. So whether it's around caste, whether it's around gender, whether it's about uh, uh, attack on religious minorities, there have been protests and there have it started out with a uh, number of people sending back their awards in, name, in the name of award wapsi, then uh, the not in my name protests, uh, the protests, uh, the anti-caste protests when uh, Rohit Vemila, after Rohit Vemila's death and many other things. And I do think that the state's response, I would say, generally in the last 10 years, there has been a, a consistent erosion of a number of democratic institutions. And so protests are a response to that. And so which is why I would say that a number of things that are part of the society around us, the civil society around us, the democratic structures, the freedom of expression, uh, the press, uh, the other kind of activism that is involved, all of that has been collectively suppressed by the state through various means, whether it's through physical uh, assault, whether it's through uh, online harassment, whether it's by slapping legal cases on people. It has actually gone to a level where you can't really distinguish one form of assault from the other in actually silencing people out. Uh, Let's look back at the 2012 anti-rape movement, right? So there were lots of people who came out. And so while there was no sort of uh, uh, mobilization around a political ideology or uh, mobilization uh, around certain issues, but definitely around gender, people from across sections were coming. And that was also a sort of sign against a kind of uh, a patriarchal system that has roots in what we are facing right now, which has also been an integral part of how the state has been responding to the society around us. Uh, and so 
soon enough when there was uh, there were muzaffarnagar riots in 2013 when just before the 2014 general elections we saw that there were lots of attacks on working class minorities in in north india particularly in the city in the districts of shamli and muzaffarnagar and soon enough uh, a government was elected that uh, came into power with a very select commitment to political hinduism and so in that situation i would say that uh, the assault on on the plurality on on the kind of uh, uh, diversity that we have and also the movements that for all these years had been fighting against the regressive caste class caste structures they were all again suppressed because it did not gel with the idea of the current government in power which wanted to establish a certain sort of political system in the country and so there began the attacks on everybody who was dissenting against this sort of establishment thank you so much for sharing that uh, neha and as you were speaking a couple of points that really stood out to me were of course the change in the government's response to how protests and dissent is viewed but i also want the listeners to take away a little bit more in terms of how the meaning of protest what we protest for how we protest even that has diversified over the years and there are many different narratives of how these protests are shaped and designed and executed are coming out in the past few years as well taking from that i also want to understand neha what do you think has you know transformed or what do you think has enabled this transformation in the government's response to protests like we've noticed it hasn't always been like this what factors do you think made the government's almost default response to any protest be violence be assault what do you think changed okay let me start by saying this that the current in the last almost 8 and a half years the people in power they have criminalized any kind of defiance any kind of disagreement any kind of debate any kind of discussion all of these things are actually put out as criminal acts and this has been normalized criminalizing any kind of discussion debate disagreement has been normalized by many people in power for example uh, uh, one of the ministers the cabinet minister of uh, in the in the previous government uh in the previous term of this government we kissing he actually not just coined but also normalized the word prostitute and this word was actually supposed to uh be used as a slur against journalists who were critical of the government and then they kept using this word it's it started with prostitute and soon enough when uh, there was assault on jnu and the, when there was assault on hyderabad central university and many other such places they also started coining other similar words like uh, tukre tukre gang anti national urban naxal so the list is endless and we all sort of anyone who actually tries to have a rational conversation is clubbed uh, in under these categories and so which is why i would say that the government actually uh, is not open to any kind of disagreement because they want to establish like i said they want to establish a brahmanical patriarchal uh, political hinduism order in the country which actually champions 
marginalization of everybody whether it's according to their caste hierarchy whether it's according to their uh, to the minority religion that they belong to so it's part of the larger agenda that the government has the kind of ideology that it believes in and so which is why it comes down very heavily on anybody who uh, questions the establishment and that's where it comes from i also want to add to this that the reason why the number of protests have grown in the last few years is not just because more people are protesting it's also because people do not see any kind of political alternative or any sort of electoral change or challenge or anything that uh, remotely qualifies as as a strong opposition that can bring these people down and so which is why the government is very keen on uh, quelling any kind of dissent anywhere in any part of the country and i do want to say that this template was made by the central government but now all the other state governments which may have different political parties in power all of them are very happy following the same template and so which is why they also keep using similar laws similar draconian acts against uh, activists against filmmakers against journalists against artists everywhere so it's it has been normalized now to uh, not allow any kind of uh, conversation that is different different from what people in power are making thank you so much for explaining that to us neha i think i'm learning a lot about how the criminalization of defiance has happened in the last eight and a half years and how it has become so normalized and uh, also how it is feeding into the larger ideology of hindutva that we are seeing around us now so thank you for taking us through that and uh, since we are talking about how violence has become the answer the government is resorting to more and more i am also thinking about the nature and the magnitude of this violence and here i'd like to ask you about two things uh, the first is what forms does this violence that we are speaking about take uh, is it always overt or does it differ according to time periods and settings and second is the impact of this violence felt and experienced differently by people of different identities and here i'm talking especially about communities that have been historically marginalized but uh, in your professional experience as a journalist if there's something that comes up then we'd like to hear that as well thank you for that question i would like to say that this sort of violence it's now everyday violence that people face and like you rightly said according to their identity the degree of this violence changes from geography to geography from uh, place to place from language to language from caste to caste from religion to religion let me give you an example uh many in 2016 i had done an investigation on how the rss affiliated bodies traffic children from northeast india and they take them to uh punjab and gujarat to indoctrinate them in the in political hinduism and this is similar to what happened in canada and australia where indigenous children were taken by christian missionaries and they were also uh, sort of indoctrinated into christianity and made to forget their own culture and traditions and language 
something similar was happening here and i traced the trail and i had documents and parents uh, of these girls and these girls were between the age group of 3 to 11 parents of these girls confirmed that once the children were taken on the promise of free education and lodging the parents just couldn't contact their children any longer so i traced those girls eventually in punjab and gujarat now g- let me give you an example and finally when i traced those girls in gujarat so there were 31 of them 20 in gujarat, Gujarat and Surendranagar district, and eleven in Patiala, where these really young children, six, seven-year-old girls, were telling me how they want to uh, do self-immolation, uh, kill Christian and Muslim invaders, and stuff like that. And so, while I was there and interviewing them, this person who was running this RSS school, he locked me inside the campus. And so. we were talking and i because i'm a freelancer i don't have a press card and so there was no way i could prove to him that i'm a journalist and it was risky for me to you know actually tell him to google my name because that would have got me in trouble more because the kind of stories that i have done they they may not have liked it because it was critical of what was happening and so eventually after an hour you know how this guy actually let me out he said you are a brahmin woman you are not going to do anything wrong so you can go and why i'm saying this is is because i want to make want to insist on the fact that it is your privilege your, uh, because of your caste because of your religion because of your gender gender identity all of that is actually playing a role on an everyday basis to to determine your place in this you know hierarchy of violence that is happening with people at every level and it was very sad because once the story was out a very fabulous uh, uh muslim journalist from lucknow he called me up and he said that you know you got away by doing the story i could have never done it just because of my name and so i what i want to say is that yes these these hierarchies are at work and your identity does play a big role when this happens Also I would like to say one more thing that this violence like I said earlier it's at many levels so for example for me in 2013 is when I actually started receiving a lot of uh, online threats my pictures were out like you know we've heard about this uh, uh what happens usually when women are attacked online and so there were all these conversations about how you should be raped whether it should be a steel rod whether it should be a you know rose bush with thorns all of those things and then eventually it moved to legal cases so i have three legal cases against me uh and they are in uh, guwahati i live in delhi and so every 3 months i have to travel for these cases since 2016 so it's going to be the 7th year now uh apart from that last year somebody tried to break into my house after 5 months of physical stalking and actually identifying what exactly i was doing in those 5 months whether i was sitting in the balcony or whether i was buying stuff from the market and this these people some 150 200 phone numbers were used through internet to tell me my exact location and to tell me whether they're going to rape me or throw acid and eventually they tried to enter my house So why I'm telling you this is because this violence there are no boundaries for these violent this sort of violence any longer it is instigated by an army online it is executed by an army offline 
and then there are also people within these institutions in in this democratic uh, uh, country there are people in these institutions who further take it uh, one level further and harass you and if you are from a marginalized uh, community uh, based on your identity you can be further uh, uh, targeted if you do not fall into line another thing that i would like to say is that this is also a time when we see an increasing uh, corporate political nexus in mainstream media so which is why we see a lot of mainstream organizations are towing the line of the government they are some examples are just you know uh, newspapers putting out press release but it's no longer restricted to that it's actually glorifying whatever has happened as we speak right now there is a lot of uh, investigation that is happening in the adani case and if you do see all the mainstream anchors talking about it you actually they are they are actually acting as pr professionals for for this particular corporate group because this corporate group is so close to people in power the political party in power and so which is why there is consistent killing of stories new stories important information within newsrooms and so while stories are being killed and filtered all the time by these corporate political because of this corporate political nexus in mainstream media there is a lot of self censoring also happens for journalists like i said if i have to deal with uh, criminal cases for for the last 7 years not everybody has that has those resources so this what this is also leading to is that everybody is self censoring them all the time they are thinking about the consequences of putting out anything in the public domain whether they want to deal with it do they have the resources or not and if you do not have the resources then it's even more difficult i'll just give you one more example which is that uh, if you remember in 2019 a journalist called pavan jaiswal in mirzapur in up had done a story on how children are being served roti and salt as part of midday meal program instead of being served some nutritious food and when he did that story the up government filed a case of criminal conspiracy on pavan jaiswal pavan jaiswal was a local journalist used to freelance for various organizations and the moment this case was filed against him the organization that he used to write for distanced uh, themselves from him and said that we don't know this person and like we know that the revenue model of mainstream media now is that they have shut down all the news bureaus and they totally rely on a number of local journalists and pay them per news item that they submit and so which is why most of them do not have press cards do do not have a steady source of income pavan jaiswal was also running a grocery store and so up government said that because he is running a grocery store he did the story now this story is not some big scam that is being investigated against some political party this is bare minimum basic ethical reporting that should have been done and no cases should have been filed but in spite of that when you start charging and slapping journalists and people uh, within this space with criminal cases it takes a longer time in the court of law to fight them and uh, it's so unfortunate that pavan lost his life last year also because he did not uh, have money to pay for his medical expenses forget supporting himself in the court of law
Thank you for sharing that, uh, Neha, and also to speak about you know your experience as um, as a journalist at a time like this when we are trying to make sure that these stories are not unheard of, that these stories don't get hidden in these active efforts by the state to be able to hide them. And you know, I'm just thinking about how going back to your previous point about how there are different forms of protest, there are different ways by which people are protesting and I'm thinking how you know certain professions uh, by themselves have become an act of resistance you know as you were speaking it really just seems like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing professionally right um as a as a journalist i imagine that should be your role that is something that you are you should be doing and you're doing it well you're researching stories you're writing stories you're making sure that people are reading these stories all of that seems like something that's a part of your profession and what you do professionally and i'm just thinking about how that by itself has become you know a way of protesting um and and to that end i really just wanted to ask you how do you navigate this challenge i presume that you know there is definitely a challenge that you face as a journalist your ethics of journalism uh as opposed to you know this this very real fear of safety that that has been a real concern for you given your own experiences the experiences of other journalists in the country okay so let me start by saying that as a journalist in spite of all all that has been happening and legal cases and physical attack i still want to say that i live in delhi i write in english and i do have caste and religion privileges right now in this country and so that still sort of gives me some padding if i say something there are five people who would listen to what what is happening and that is something that is not available to most journalists right now as we speak because like i said most news organizations in the corporate media have shut down their news bureaus and so anything that is coming from the ground to us is coming through extremely lowly paid uh, journalists who for some disease are actually still putting themselves out and facing risks every day i would just really say that because there is no other way of putting it i mean because there is you don't get a salary you are not protected uh, you are paid uh, per item whatever you submit and of course like you see like one of the greatest example of this is covid-19 when a number of workers were walking back home we saw the media going out and capturing this hours of footage of people walking back home but we don't know what happened to those people once they reached home that's because a lot of local journalists who would use public transport who would require resources to actually go from one village to the other to tell us what is happening with those workers they did not have the resources and additionally if you see at the first uh 3 months of the lockdown in 2020 there were f- in the f- in just 3 months there were 55 criminal cases filed against journalists from ex- you know very remote towns and cities uh under disaster management act under epidemics diseases act just for reporting that there is lack of pp there's a lack of pp kits or oxygen uh, supply or stuff like that and so why i'm talking about this is because these are the things that still 
are not part of the larger conversation about you know either journalism or or about uh, freedom of expression or even the breakdown of democratic structures these are the people who bring out news and they are nowhere in this conversation and so at that level i would really say that people you know when people say why why are people why are some journalists still reporting i would really say that we are all diseased there's no other reason why we are continuing to do this because uh, you cannot save yourself your family members are under attack and there is no one absolutely no one determined to stop this so in this scheme of thing i would really say i i am uh, quite privileged in that in that manner and other than that you i mean there are various examples if like for me uh, one story that i had done in 2019 on how uh, the you know there were num- thousands of encounters uh, in 2017 and uh, in up once the when once yogi adityanath became the chief minister and then they started putting out the number of these encounters as part of their ach- achievement of the government every 6 months and so they would say like the first after 2017 first 6 months they said that oh 1200 encounters were conducted and there is absolutely again no conversation because now that number has risen to almost uh, 7000 and out of which some 1200 people have lost their lives in police encounters and so when once i met some 14 15 families of the people who had been killed and they were showing me pictures of how the dead bodies were mutilated skull was broken i was out and so they these were clearly not chance encounters but but properly planned killings by the police these were extrajudicial killings and there was no inquiry uh once the story came out the cop the top cop from up called me up to say till when are you going to do this i know where your mother lives so the the impunity and the audacity at the same time to say something like this maybe i'm i don't know till when am i going to continue but there are lots of people who have lots of uh, uh things to be responsible for and so they can't go ahead with this so it is a absolutely uh, difficult now to do any any sort of groundwork also because i would say earlier i used to say as a freelancer my my strength is to be a freelancer because in times of people uh killing important investigations and news inside newsrooms i would if one organization would refuse to publish my story then i would give it to the other and if the second wouldn't then i would i would give it to the third so the story would eventually come out but as we speak in the last 5 years this has changed because now the organizations that have money to publish and and the resources to publish important critical stuff are not going to publish it and the ones who do not have the resources uh will publish but that's not going to support the kind of in-depth uh investigation or in-depth reporting that you want to do yeah that does sound like a difficult situation to be in neha and just want to say i don't know if it makes a difference right now but thank you for all the work that you've been doing and uh since we are currently in a political climate where it is absolutely important for us to be raising our voices i am then thinking about what happens next and how do we make sure that we as citizens can help out or maybe ensure the safety of dissenters and 
do you think you could point us to some strategies of holding the state accountable that can be undertaken while ensuring the safety of anybody who tries to speak up so what i would like to say is that right now we are unfortunately right now we are only paying attention to extreme situations and extremely draconian uh, 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 laws that are used against dissenters and i would like to say and also high profile cases not that they are not important but i would like to say that this is happening every day in every district uh, and how we define a dissenter that in itself is actually so what so subjective according to the state right you could just be from a certain community and you may appear to be a dissenter to the state regardless of uh, you not doing anything that typically qualifies as protest or dissent in their eyes i'll give you an example for example in uh, in up there are in again uh, in the first uh, one year of the yogi government there were close to 150 nsa cases slapped against people and so the, these are this is the national security act and this was slapped against all of them most of them were working class muslims or obcs or uh, people from the dalit community who were again slapped with with nsa which is as draconian like uh, of course all of you would know that the law is actually defined as no wakil no appeal no dalit so the court will the, the government is going to set up a body to decide whether you should be in jail or not and so there's there's not very it's not very easy to challenge it and so i remember meeting a family in bairaich in up again and the day i had gone this was the family of a rickshaw puller who used to work in delhi as a and his family was in bairaich and that day it was raining his five children his wife they were sitting outside their uh, mud house and of course the thatched roof was broken and there was a clay uh, stove there and on the clay stove there were five potatoes boiling with water and salt and haldi and that is all that they had to eat that evening and this person these children their father was supposed to be a threat to national security and had been in jail for the last 8 months so this is the kind of uh, uh, brutality of the state that is being unleashed on its citizens on the basis of which community you belong to why uh, if there could be no reason but you will have to face this and i think as all of us as citizens i think it's really important to keep an eye out for these people who have who are just there that person was just in jail nobody knew about it and so it's really important to keep an eye out each time there's a figure even if you see some figure fake figure something that seems fake on whatsapp just google and figure out okay what is happening where if we don't keep an eye out for this slowly we'll see that a lot of people anyway are behind bars or facing the consequences for it and uh, there is no way to compensate for that any longer even right now as we speak for example khalid saifi who's been in jail uh, since feb 2020 uh, and has been accused in delhi riots and was uh, an active member of the anti ca protests if you see when he was arrested his three children two teen- teenage boys uh, another daughter who was 5 who's now 8 now 
how were those children those children have not been able to attend school for the last two years because they were being bullied in school uh, by other children because of the charges that have been slapped against khalid saifi uh, their family they have no uh, income any longer they have no resources and what is the compensation for this who is going to compensate for all these years that the children have lost who is going to compensate for the mental health trauma that they are facing so early in their lives and they'll have to live with that all you know all all through their uh, adulthood so these are the these are the costs that people are paying for the kind of liberties i think some of us are still enjoying by able to by being able to speak up i think we need to listen to other people more and be at least what i don't know i don't have any anything to say except that just pay attention to what is happening around you i think there's so much fatigue in the last few years we're all fatigued one after the other there have been assaults uh, on us in various phases and so a fatigue has set in amongst us and i think we have to shake that off a bit thank you so much uh, for saying that uh, neha you know and i think my biggest learning that i take away from this conversation with you is that it's important that we do what we need to do in order to be able to get over that fatigue to not look away when it's not something as big as you know the the worst case scenario happening i think especially when you spoke about how it catches our attention only when it's extremely extremely violent or when it is extremely regressive is not good enough and how it got there because before each such instance there were hundreds of instances that we just chose not to look in the direction of looked away saying you know this is a small thing it keeps happening it's something that's casual um thank you for this and for all the other very thought provoking instances that you have shared with us stories from your life and your work that you have shared with us it's really been illuminating and with this we come to an end for this episode but before we close off neha i want to ask you if there are any closing thoughts any parting thoughts that you would leave that you would like to leave with our listeners before we close this episode you know what i want to say still is that i'm still very hopeful about how things are right now in our country because even when we've seen for the last almost 8 9 years consistent assault on our rights on our fundamental rights on our rights of uh, expression on our rights to on our right to dissent all of that in spite of that we have consistently seen some sort of resistance from some quarter so if if uh if there was an anti ca protest there was a farmers protest as well if there was uh, an award wapsi protest there was also not in my name protest if there was a rohit famila there were many other people there there was an umar khalid as well so that surely really makes me hopeful the fact that people are not taking it lying down someone someone from some quarter is always ready to stand up to mobilize people and to say that whatever is happening is not right and that is something that really gives me strength and makes me very hopeful and i think we should all draw our strength from there thank you so much for saying that neha and this is not to romanticize anything that's happening in india right now but listening to you today it has really been inspirational and it's it's really been really powerful to have you with us today thank you so much for your time i think all of our listeners will agree if i say that we're taking a lot back so thank you so much for joining us today thank you for tuning in today 
Please leave us any questions you may have as voice notes on Anchor or in our DMs. We would love to hear from you. This podcast is brought to you by One Future Collective. Yes, thank you so much and don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at One Future Collective and at One Future underscore India on Twitter and keep an eye out for future episodes out every second and fourth Thursday of the month. Until next time.